0: And as we look at the world that we're in, there's so many lies and so many religions and philosophies and it's amazing to see how this, this image has, has gained traction as different people have mentioned it or pointed to it and different thoughts and religions have interacted with, with scripture and, and said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Taoist or I'm a Buddhist, but look at how this is interesting that this book agrees with itself and it's, it's consistent. But with these different thoughts and religions, they all tell you what you must do or should do. Or hopefully that works out for you if you live this way. And maybe you're reincarnated as a cow instead of a grasshopper or a, a mosquito. And there's these different thoughts. But the interesting thing is Jesus comes and says, you must be perfect. You must be holy. And by the way, I was perfect for you. I was holy for you. And because of your sin, you're going to die. And I also took care of that too. I, I died for you and rose again. So now you can live a holy perfect and conquering victorious life in me. And you can have hope and victory in me. No other person said that. No other person thought that. And he not only said it, he did it. So as we think about the mission that he's consumed with his disciples then and now, his followers then and now, is that we would know God, which is eternal life, John seventeen three. We talked about that last week, how we can know that he's a holy father, completely consumed and set apart to accomplish that purpose of being holy, to call to himself a people who are holy. And that's where today we're looking at the second point, being sanctified, being holy, being set apart. In verse 17, sanctify them and the truth. Your word is truth. After Jesus just prays, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And before that, right after he talks about his joy being complete, verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Like, Thanks a lot, Jesus. You just showed up, gave us your word. Now the world hates us. If you, if you go back, if you go back to when Moses showed up and he's like, hey, God said we can leave. And everyone's like, Moses, shut up. We're slaves. Slaves can't leave. That's bad. The slave owners don't like it when slaves leave. We have to go up, get up, early for work tomorrow. We're slaves. Get out of here. Like that's the same thing as the word comes and the world hates God's word. The world hates truth. Anytime you bring truth up, no one's like, huh, <laughs> I was believing a lie. Thank you so much for telling me I was believing a lie. It's about time. That's never happened. If we're honest, we don't like it when a friend, a boss, or a spouse comes and's like, hey, you're believing a lie. No one's like, oh yeah, Man, thank you. I am a liar. I am a loser. I need, you know, I need hope and I need truth in my life. But interestingly, we see God comes in the flesh to reveal to us what's true. And he says, I gave him your word. Your word's truth. And those that knew they were a loser, those that knew they were hurting and lost, and everything they thought that was going to help them hurt them. And so they realize I'm gripped in this pain and this struggle and I can't figure it out. And Jesus walks in at that moment when they're blind, when they're lame, when they're looking for all the acceptance and emotional and in intimacy and in all these other relationships, and Jesus says, I know I, I made you for that, and I'm the creator, and I'm the one that can, and I'm the only one that can fulfill that thing you're looking for. So that's why he says, Your word is truth, and the world hates it, because the world has other things that are a lot cheaper, easier, quicker, and, and and we settle for less. We don't wait for Jesus. We don't long for Jesus. We don't look to him. We don't see him in his word. We look at anything and everything but him to fulfill or satisfy us, and that's why he's saying they need your word. And the world hates them, but they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. That's why he's calling us out. This sanctification can only happen positionally when we believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross, rose from the grave, to pay for our sins and to give us a new life in Him. That begins the process. It's not perfection, although we know one day we will be perfect in heaven, but even 1 John, he's saying, look, I write this to you that you won't sin because you don't have to sin anymore. We don't, we're not slaves to it, but yet we run to it at times. We, we fall back. And that's where the reminder is in 1 John. Hey, when you sin, Just say I sinned and he'll forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you if you confess your sin. But you have to acknowledge it. Because if you say you're not a sinner, then the word's not in you. The truth isn't in you. And so he says, essentially, the truth defines a holy Christian. As we talked last week, holy, set apart. We're going to get into this truth that defines us as a holy Christian. What is a Christian? How does the truth define a holy Christian? Two things. First, a Christian is someone who knows Jesus, just wasn't a man. He's from God. So he's not just a guy that was born and, and then lived and died. He's from God, and he returned to God, and so he's praying for us to know that he's the second person in the Trinity. In Genesis 1, it says, God, the Father, spoke. That's the Word. In John 1, he tells us, the Word became flesh. And Paul tells us in the Colossians that nothing was created that was created except through Jesus. So that's where Jesus is the word. And then you see over the waters, the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. So you see the three persons of God, one God and three persons in Genesis 1. And we see Jesus here saying, look, you have to believe that I'm from God, from heaven, divine origin. As deceptive as our day is, Jesus said there's going to be all kinds of deceivers coming and even saying they're they're part of me. And now we have Mormons that don't even call themselves Mormons. They call themselves Christians, little, little Christs. And they say they believe in the same Jesus we do. In, in Brigham Young University, they even use John MacArthur's books to study Jesus. Like they're so closely aligned and it's so deceptive. And every time I looked at the missions movement of of the gospel going forth, guess who was right behind the gospel going into closed countries? Mormonism, Joe's Witness, all these other religions would go after because that's how Satan works. He doesn't invent truth. He just tweaks truth. He doesn't invent lies. He doesn't invent false truths. He just tweaks what's true. That's why when he went to Eve, he didn't come up with this crazy thing about, hey, you can be a god on a new planet. Initially, he was just like, hey, did God say you shouldn't touch it? No, he shouldn't eat of it. He just twisted it. So in our day, we need to be clear. Is this the Jesus you believe in? Is it the true God, Jesus? Or is it, as the Mormons believe, that now don't call themselves Mormons, that Jesus, Jesus is Satan's spirit brother, and there's Holy Mother and Holy Father, and they had spirit beings, spirit children, and, and that's where Jesus and Satan are on the same plane, having wrestling matches in the spirit world. And if you're good enough, you can have your own planet and you can be different levels of heaven. It's, it's crazy when you get into it. It's very clear and certain they don't worship the same Jesus. Jesus isn't the one and only Savior. There's works too. And so that's why right away Jesus is saying, I'm from Holy Father and I am the one true God, the Father, and I'm the one true God, the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. One God and three persons from divine origin. He's the son of God, not just a man. So to a Christian, that's where it all rests. And that's where anything and everything that attacks Jesus' deity is from Satan. And you know it's not a true gospel. It's a false gospel. And it pales in significance. When we look at world history, when we look at other religions, nothing helps. Nothing comes close to the power and the purpose and the promise that Jesus is the son of God. Secondly, Jesus says, they also believe that you sent me. Which shows the definition of a disciple. Who makes disciples? A humble servant, committed, fully devoted to following Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He was a humble servant, sent from the Father, fully devoted to accomplish the mission. That's why he was holy. He was set apart. He's from divine. He's always existed. And he comes with this says i'm here on a mission the latin word missio is here that means mission in verse 18 it says as you sent me into the world so i've sent them into the world jesus modeled for us perfectly what we were intended to be what we were called to be what his plan was initially through abraham what his promise was all through scripture through abraham jesus is going to come And and the whole world's gonna be blessed, and the gospel's gonna come forth. And that's why, right away, from knowing God is salvation to growing, very quickly you understand, oh, I'm on a mission to be in the world, not of the world, to be holy, not hidden, to be purposeful, not proud, to be intentional, not just, well, whatever works and we'll see and whatever fits my liking. No, this is what God's called us to do. And that's why, as we think about this, series, Mission Essentials, to look at the bottom line of John 17 is that we would know God, eternal life, grow that sanctification, positionally and progressive. We continue to make progress. One day we'll be perfect in heaven, but we're working towards that as the Holy Spirit works that out, is grow in relationship with God and others. And then lastly, go on mission and make disciples we see a Christian as a Christian because he has a relationship with the truth. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not our beliefs. It's our actions. It's not just what we think. It's what we're telling people. What we're telling them is what's most important with how we live our lives. And some people might say, well, I thought make, what makes you a Christian is if you're born again. And yeah, that's how you know you're born again. You're looking for the criteria, though. What's the evidence that you're born again? What's the, the, the fruit that's coming off the ends of the, the branches of the tree, if you will? What's the test? And Jesus says, go to the truth. If you do not see this, this is the just irreducible minimum. If you're going to have all kinds of problems with the assurance and maybe insecurity, unless you see that what makes you a Christian is a relationship to the truth about Jesus. And 1 John tells us that. He's saying, look, the bottom line, if you say you don't have sin in you, you're a liar. Because the truth is that we're all in sin and, separate, and sin separates us from God. So unless we receive Jesus, as come from God, died in our place, rose again to save us from our sin. That's the bottom line. When someone says, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I believe that there's one God and Jesus was sent from God. He died on the cross for me rose again to pay for my sins. And now I live a victorious life. Now I overcome. Now I'm not conquered because he lives. Now I don't have to fear. I don't have to have anxiety. I don't have to have depression. I don't have to have those things. But that backs all the way up to who is God? And that's why Satan always wants to twist it. And that's why Jesus prays, hey, I'm not in the world and as I leave, In verse fifteen, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Don't hide them, don't remove them, but the evil one's going to deceive, distract, distort the truth, and that's where fear and anxiety and depression—that's where it all comes in. And we're we're prone to it, some more than others. And I think for those that are type A and you have lists, that can be helpful, but it also can be hurtful with anxiety because you're. You know, my wife gave me a lens into her mind where I'm just, yeah, it's kind of my normal life, but apparently that causes you anxiety. Um, When she goes, you know, there's a little videos they put out that are like really funny and they're really cute little two-minute things about real life that normally aren't funny in real life, but when you watch someone else make fun of it, you're like, oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, There's one that, you know, that says, you know, just a couple more days handyman service, and it's like our life. You go to our house, it's like half-built shed, you know, baseboard's not tacked on and drywall's not finished. It's like, yeah, I was going to get to that. I just need a couple more days. The shed will be finished in a couple more days. And she's like, that's how my, you know, I go to make dinner, but there's dishes in the sink and I go to put them in the dishwasher. They're clean. I got to empty the dishwasher. And then as I'm doing that, I go around the house to get dishes that might need to be cleaned, And then I have to go make the bed from the accident that happened. And then I have to clean up the room. And then all of a sudden it's five, four or five hours later and dinner's not done. And there's the anxiety. It's like, ah, the list of all the things I should do, could do, have to do. And then Jesus comes and like, here's my word, be perfect. You're like, oh, thanks, because I'm not doing enough. I can't do it all. That's where it all comes from. And that's where it all boils down to, can we understand who's God and who's in control? And we understand who's God, that Jesus came to not only tell you what to do, but he did it for you. The biggest problem we all have is our sin problem, and Jesus took that from us. And then said, hey, I'm going to be here to help you walk it out every day. And it's okay. I don't expect you to be perfect, but I still demand it. But it's been satisfied in Jesus. So let's make progress so you understand your new identity as a Christian. It's your attitude. It's your relationship. Giving him authority over your life. Let me see, see if I could simplify it this way where people might say, okay, well, what is that truth? We see it's not just understanding there's a truth here, but having a relationship with it, receiving it, giving it the authority and the rule in your life. Basically, when he's saying this idea of truth, is is God's word true? Not just, yeah, the phone book, we used to all have, that had true information, and now you can Google things and look up maps, and it always hurts me when I, you know, in the early days of Google, you'd look up an address and it would take you to a field somewhere. And it's like, this is not, you know in and out. This is a field. It's like, oh in six months they're going to break ground and build in and out here. And they're like, okay, technology is still catching up. It's not just, there's a truth out here. No, is, is God's word true? Does it say you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe that? Did Jesus set you free from that? Do you walk in that victory every day? Knowing that he cast demons out. Knowing that he heals sicknesses. Are you, are you under that and living that joy? Is it complete in you or are you giving too much room for other Things that distract you. So they believe that I'm from you, and secondly, they also believe that you sent me. Do we believe that Jesus is God, was always God, and will always remain to be God, and that he was sent by the Father to save us from our sins? So, what is holiness? Once we believe that, we know, okay, this defines us, but what is holiness? How do we live this out? Why would we want to be holy? To put it in simple terms, to be totally committed to God. 100% commitment to God. 100% focus on God. Totally focused on God. Totally renovated by God. So thinking about that. Commitment to God. You you give Him your daily planner. You give Him control of your life. Okay, here's the plans. You do it. Not me. Whenever you see kids trying to hit a baseball and they're, they're young and they're swinging for the fences, the, the biggest problem they have is they turn their head. They're not focused on the ball. You go golfing and whether it's a baseball player who's, you know, two back on their back leg or they're so excited to see how far they hit the ball because they get the driver out at the biggest club and they're like, I'm going to cream this thing. And the biggest problem they have is they just pull their head because they're so excited to see where it's going to go or they're anxious about where it's going to go. Maybe they know they're not a good golfer and they're tired of always hitting it way off into the you know, weeds are way left into the water or, and they're just like, man, I just need to find my ball so I can drop and keep playing because everyone's bothered and I told my wife I'd be home five hours ago, so let's just get this moving. And, and they're just looking where it's going to go and they take your eye off the ball. The biggest thing they say is keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And thirdly, it's to be totally renovated by God. Every area of your life, your gifting, as a teacher, an educator, you're gifting as an accountant, you're gifting as a, a manager, CEO. How are you using that? That's where creatives have to go, okay, we, we can do all these choreographed moves, but how do I do that that glorifies God? How do I use my gifts and my talents for God? How do I give my entire life to God and be okay with it? I'm okay with it because I have the gift of faith and, and I'm not type A, but I've learned, man, that, that is a lot. For people to just say, "Okay, hey God, I'm going to give you control. I'm going to surrender all. And I, I grew up trusting God and it's always worked out. So I have no reason not to trust Him. But I know that there's been abuse. Where people say this is God's will and you do it. And it's, it's actually people controlling you. And that's where there's separate things. Where people say it's, you know, you just kind of sit with the word and let it resonate to you. Or, or you, you have the legalist side of church where there's okay we want total commitment so that means to be a member here you have to give us your social security number your bank account and give us your your approximate salary so we can adjust based off that 10 percent and and build our budget off that and that's kind of how some churches do it and i was like wow that that's very type a controlling like they have it down to the penny they want to know and and i'm i'm convinced as we look at scripture it's this relationship with God's word. When we see God's word, when God's word with the Holy Spirit takes root in our heart and our mind, as a, as a lead pastor, as, as a fellow believer, I would way rather trust the head shepherd, the head pastor, Jesus, to, to work through his spirit in each one of your lives to make a decision personally how you're going to follow and obey him, not men. And we see it time and time we see probably the clearest example of a holy person is when, when you look at athletes who set aside and they put aside diet, friends, family and say, okay, I'm going to limit some of these things that are good things, but I'm going to make sure in order to maybe be the gold medalist winner, I need to, to have a rigorous diet, training schedule, and only people are going to be allowed to help me continue to meet my goal. I'm not just going to allow anything and everything in, even though some things are good things, but there's, a, there's to be holy and set apart as an athlete, they sanctify themselves for this purpose. And what has Jesus done? Jesus didn't just mean for us to become perfect. He's already perfect. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to say, look at me, improve. It's not about us improving. He's already given us all the resources and the victory. So we see this image in Numbers 14 where the people in Israel are brought to the brink of the promised land and God says go in there and take it it's yours it's like Christmas morning all right you've waited long enough half of these presents are already you know corners are ripped open and peaks have been taken so you already know what all the gifts are if you have a younger daughter like mine or the obedient ones are finally their palms are sweaty and the anxiety the wait's over they get to rush in only that's not what happened in Numbers 14. The people said, uh, second thought, it's impractical, it's impossible. The same thing a lot of you. You're like, okay, the pastor said I need to get the word in me this week, so I'm going to read it. And you open it, and you're like, uh, I can't do that. Turn the other cheek, get my money away, get my time away, serve other people. You know who my neighbor, na- I have to love my neighbor, you know who my neighbor is? Uh, it's impractical, it's impossible. They said there are giants in there, we'll be enslaved, we'll be slaughtered, we just got out of slavery. God looks at them and says all right if you won't obey me i'm going to send you back into the wilderness for 40 years and you're all going to die there but don't worry i'll give the land to your kids then he says except Caleb and Joshua and he looks at Caleb and he says this Caleb who has one of the who was one of the spies who went into the promised land initially came back and gave the report and Caleb said hey let's go take it god said it's ours let's go get it and he looks at Caleb And here's a great definition of holiness. He says, my servant Caleb, there's a different spirit in him. For he has followed me wholly. He has fixed his eyes on me. His whole life has been surrendered to me and and submitted to whatever I tell him to do. He's going to go there. Every area of his life is completely transformed and renovated by me. He doesn't understand how I'm going to give him control of these giants and this land and, and all the people. And Israel small and they were slaves so they're not very strong. And they're very, just kind of have, you know, all the PTSD and attachment disorder and, and all that stuff they have going on as slaves. And, and, and Joshua and Caleb said, but God said, let's go do it. God said, we're, we're sanctified, we're set apart for his purpose. I don't know how he's going to do it but i can trust him again they answered the question who's god who's in control it's not joshua or caleb so they were willing to go so let's go into the land he gave you rules he tells you things you have to do there are lots of them in scripture pour yourself out for other people give your time and money away always tell the truth never repay evil for evil forgive everyone keep yourself sexually pure and when you hear God say all those things what do you say it's the same attitude the israelites uh impossible impractical we're going to be slaughtered out there do you know how the world's going to treat us to live like christ we'll be slaughtered we're going to be enslaved that's what most people say it's impossible to do what god's word says yes that's why jesus did it for you And that's why he puts his spirit in you to give you the the strength and the power and the ability to obey and the desire to want to. Man, if I'm going to take the land, if I'm going to listen to what God says, I'm going to have to sanctify myself. I'm going to have to set myself apart and limit what I eat, who I hang out with, and what the intake is. Because I'm going to have to set everything I have at Jesus' feet and say, okay, is this what you want me to have? Other people can have it, but if, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you've called me to do? Is this the gifts you've called me to, to, to discern how to use? And that's challenging. And that's where the second thing, the truth transforms the holy Christian. The truth is the way God perfects you in that process and recreates you and makes you holy. Sanctifying them through the truth. The word is truth. Again, this is so practical and I don't know if I could say it another way that would make it make sense when he says I'm a Christian and I want to grow and become like Christ sometimes they're passive about it where you think you, as I tried in high school where I just took algebra 2 and put it under my pillow and I prayed okay Lord you've done miracles before could you just get this in my head because I got a test tomorrow and, and, and people that, they take that approach where it's the passive you just come to church sit here listen and then we'll see you next week But Jesus is saying, look, I've given them your word. If they knew it, they had experiences with it. They went and cast demons out. They healed the lame. They healed people from all the diseases. That was how the gospel went out and was confirmed with the power. Before Jesus died and rose again. Like You don't have to wait for classes. You don't have to wait to be a Christian for 10 years. You can obey God's word today. But first, usually you have to have it open and you have to let the Holy Spirit confirm it in you. And so it's not passive and it's not legalistic forcefully saying you got to do this and do this and, and be in eight Bible studies. And then we have this class you got to take for 25 weeks. And once you're done with that, we have a 90-week thing. And then hopefully you'll meet with Chris Blake and he'll sign off and, and authorize you as, no, that's not how it works. I don't know when we thought that as Americans we need to have this whole process but when I read scripture it's like oh he just called this fisherman and then he sent him out to go cast demons out. That, that never, I never got that in my discipleship. Like I kept getting books to read and I don't read books so I kept getting a chapter or two in and then confused and how that works. And then I read scripture and I'm like oh. When you see it all connecting and you read John 17 with 1st John you're like oh this is oh my goodness. This was all just saying it a different way, like a diamond turned in the light. It's the same diamond, but as light comes through it, it sends off a different color. Just illuminating and and opening our eyes to see the power and the purpose of having a new life in Christ. It truly is having our joy fulfilled. When there's no weight or burden of sin anymore, that's off of us. We can confess and, and be released from that as he forgives us. But if you're gonna be a doctor and you study a book on skin disorders, when you see the blotch, you need to be able to have mastered the truth so much and and so confidently that you can discern lies from truth. That's what we when we study scripture, we need to understand it so we can discern when there's lies, that the evil one or false religions have taken Jesus and, and lowered him from God to man. And we can discern how they're not really believing in the same Jesus. And when you become a graduate to the truth, you become a doctor through the truth. In order to get the truth in you, it can't be passive. If you have a body of truth, you can't be passive. You can't just sit back and say, okay, Lord, you know I'm supposed to be a Christian. It's just not really happening. I guess I'll just have to wait on you. Just Jesus, take the wheel. Just bring me to, to my destination. No, it's, it's active. We have to be in a growth or in a life group or a Bible study and be discipled and get in God's word and understand, you know, as, as me being kind of a fixer and wanting to just anything, there's a problem. I'm like, that's a perfect problem to solve. I can come up with eight solutions. So I had a guy was like, Hey, just kind of prayer request. Our dryer went out. I'm like, all right, so let's pray about it. And then I was like, Hey, we've prayed. Now it's time to get it done. So I got on Facebook marketplace. because that's how you get things done. So I'm like, we'll find a dryer, found like 10 dryers messaged him back. Hey, I got some dryers for you. Is it gas or electric? Cause I've learned you got to, Ask these questions, so he comes back. Hey, it's a it's gas. I'm like, oh, these are all electric. So yesterday I was praying, and I just felt like I was like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna solve this problem. I'm like, great, perfect. I'm trying here. I'm praying. I'm active. And my neighbor has these two dryers in the, in his truck, and I'm like, oh, sweet. Maybe he's getting rid of them because he was taking stuff to the dump earlier in the day. And you know, I'm I'm always observant, seeing where God's moving, and and God's like, no, those aren't. The drivers you're looking for i was like isn't that a star wars line it's like no you know i don't know if you guys talk to god like i do but when you're in god's word you have you have these moments not every day all the time but i was like okay lord so this morning i got up I'm like yes early get some time in the word be a little more clear on where you're taking me today and uh this wasn't in the notes until obviously this morning so i'm driving here and then there's a dryer on the side of the road and i was like oh okay lord You've done a work on my heart this week and past couple weeks. Like, is this are these the dryers? Is this the dryer I was looking for? And on it it said free dryer. And I was like, there's a catch, because there's more words. The washer needs repair. I was like, praise the Lord, this is the dryer I was looking for. So I was like, one more question. Is it gas or electric? Because I know. And so I look around and it was gas. I'm like, yes. So I ran home, got the drill, threw it in the truck, it's here. Isn't that great when problems are solved like that? I love it. It's like, I like to think that's kind of a cool thing that God's put on my heart to have that gift of faith. It's like, hey, we're going to problem solve, we're going to... And I settle for so less, because even then I'm like, I don't know if the driver's going to come through. Why not? God's way bigger. He parted the sea. He gave sight to the blind. But why don't we have the same kind of faith for people instead of just problems? And and we think about our own problems, and we think about sanctification and being set apart for Him. What keeps us from being His servants to do His will? To not be hidden, but be holy people where people touch us, see us, and they see the love. If we're supposed to be the most loving place in town, if we're supposed to be known by our love, we have to be doing stuff, active. But that first starts with God's Word being opened And being amazed at his action towards us he took the first step and said I know you're confused you're in sin let me clarify I'm God you're not I saved you guess what I got a purpose for you we're gonna help people we're gonna serve people we're gonna love people and the world's gonna hate you and it's gonna be awesome because your joy is gonna be complete through suffering and it's gonna be wonderful because I'm gonna be able to heal you save you set you free let's go And if you look in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it's kind of a weird verse. Because oftentimes in Scripture, not just in the New Testament, but it's it's clear there. In Old Testament as well, they jump into this relational depth and the intimacy. And they talk about sexual immorality. They talk about that most intimate relationship. And he says, look, flee from sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Talking about sexual control, right? But then Paul immediately says... Additionally, you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you have this relationship with God, God's Spirit is in you. And so everything that you take in and you join your body to somebody, is the Holy Spirit in you? Is that God's plan for you? And he, he, he goes on and says, it's not passive. He doesn't say, well, these sexual desires are very strong, so you just ask God to take them away. No, it's, it's understanding the right use of the desire that God put in there. It's understanding how to have control of your desires and your thoughts and your actions to bring glory to God. Why did God give me the desires? How do I use them for his purpose, for his glory? And on the other hand, he does not appeal directly to the will. He doesn't say just stop being sexually immoral, period. He doesn't say, hey, stop being depressed. Stop being anxious. He doesn't say that. Although sometimes the legalist approach... Again, the passive is just like, eh, well, God just take care of this. Or the legalist is just stop it. Like, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's hard. He's saying this, these desires to have control, these desires to understand, these desires to get things done, that's, that's a good desire. But how are we going to submit it to God? And how are we going to realize the, the answer is the, the main answer is, the main question rather is, who is God? Who's in control? And if, if this happened to me, that means it passed through his hands first. That means whatever I'm facing, God allowed me to face. So what is God gonna do about it? That's why it's amazing when, when someone's there and someone's like, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. God allowed this so that I get the glory and I can bring healing to him. And you can see that I'm the one from God who always existed and I get the glory. And it's all about the purpose and the plan. And so." Who has the power? When we realize, oh, I don't really have the power on my own strength, I need to trust in God and rely His strength. Trust in His Spirit to give me patience when I'm anxious. To give me trust when I don't know who to trust. When I, when I need to look to God and realize He's in control. Do you know what the Bible's saying? You don't... You're forgetting that God is in control when we're anxious or when we're fearful. We forget that God's loving and He is powerful and we look back at the word and go oh you're right you said this is the promised land you said we should go take it but everyone else like Israel said no no no. there's this problem and I don't know how to solve it Ah, there's a tension that I don't know it's kind of confusing and Caleb's like I know but God said to go do it let's just go do it and so at times it's easy just to go okay we should just put our depression over here or anxiety but for those of us that deal with that the principle is to say, okay God, you got to come in and you got to help me with this and that's a daily surrender it's a daily battle for some and others there's there's victory right away and so we see that the truth instructs us on the position of power as a holy Christian that it's not our power it's not learning a new method it's that the position of power is having the Holy Spirit in us relying on that trusting in God's plan and his provision and his Purpose. And that's why in Ephesians 1 it says, I pray every day for you that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you may grasp the hope of your calling and the riches of your inheritance and the great power in you who believe. What is Paul saying? He does not pray for power. He says, if you would only see the truth and realize the truth, you'd have the power. You already possess it. It's like having a bike in your garage as a kid and every day you're like, I need a bike, I need a bike, I need a bike, and it's like, you have it. Do you understand the truth that it's already there? You just have to get on it and ride it. You have, you have the power. The Holy Spirit's already in you. It means a Christian is already in this perfect situation. On the other hand, the Christian realizes I can't force my will. I cannot operate directly on my own will, and I can't force my will or coerce it. I have to engage it. I have to be submitted under it so that God has control over my life to work in and through my life. And there's times where it's crazy and it's unclear of what God's doing. And there's times when it's not the norm. And as I was thinking about this and and just wrapping it up and seeing how in Matthew 6, have no anxiety but consider God's power. In Psalm 73, how did the psalmist get rid of his envy and depression? He began to think about eternity, the truth. And then John says in 1 John 1 and 2, if you have guilt problems when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. We have an advocate with the Father. It's always replacing the anxiety with the truth. And okay, what does God say about who he is and who am I and how I can trust him? And one of the craziest examples of this, of being set apart for God's purpose, according to God's plan, this missionary named, named Paul was down in Peru and he was in a store one day in the store. Clerk got really anxious and flustered because the police officer came in, and and Paul looked around and knew, okay, this is going to go down, and persecution was real, and they knew who he was as a missionary, and took him out to go beat him or worse, kill him, and he was freaked out, and he's he's telling this, he's like, man, I was so terrified, I was so scared, I just I didn't know what to do, so I just yelled at the police officer, man, I'm I'm really afraid for your life, I'm I'm terrified for you, and the police officer stepped back and he's like, why? and and the, the missionary said, well, you mean to do me harm. And I know the, the one true God's going to send you to hell forever because you, you hurt people and you're going to do horrible things to me. And, and I know where that goes because you're in sin and you're going to go to hell forever in a place of torment. And the police officer stepped back and was like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is a holy man that knows God and, and realized this is a holy person. So he asked him, hey, can you pray for me that my soul will not go to hell forever? And so the missionary was like, yeah. So he prayed for him and he's like, yeah, unless you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you believe that he's from God and that God sent him, then you'll be a Christian. And you'll live with God forever. And the police officer was like, oh, okay, I believe. And was saved. And for, they exchanged numbers and they stayed in contact for a number of days after that. And as he said that, he's like, look, persecution's real. We don't pray for persecution. Enjoy the days we don't have it. He said there's a lot better followers of Christ than me that have been martyred and laid their lives down. But for some reason, God stirred up in me to say those things and to to call them out and say, this is true. You're in sin and you need Jesus. And if you don't believe now, this is where you're going to spend eternity because of what you're believing is true. You're believing that what I'm doing is hurtful, not helpful. And so you want to kill me. You want to stop me. But here's what's really true. And when we know the truth, we have joy and we have confidence to even bring To bear truth in the midst of darkness. And when darkness sees the light, it has to flee. And so in our day to day, where we go from here is realizing that Jesus, as the elements are passed, Jesus took God's wrath. Jesus took the penalty of sin on himself to set us free, to live for him. Not just be confident when we die, we'll be with him, but every day walk in that victory. Walk in the power and the presence of the Lord. And we can give our anxiety we can give our depression we can give the challenges we're facing and say okay lord you got to help me i'm in your word i'm looking at your plan and your promise to be with me and and prosper me and and not harm me but i'm I'm praying for peace in the city and it's prosperity i'm active here and how are you going to provide when are you going to show up and he is faithful as we seek him for those it says who believed and received Jesus, they were given the right to become sons and daughters of God. So if you've yet to trust in Jesus, that's the opportunity now. Believe now that he paid for your sin, Jesus paid for your sin on the cross, rose from the grave to give you a new life. And as we follow him, we completely surrender our lives, commit our lives to him, fix our eyes on him, and allow every area of our life to be transformed by the power of his word as we're in his word daily daily in a life group, or a Bible study. Let's pray. God, we thank you as we see the power of your word that not only caused the dead to rise, the lame to walk, the blind to see, but Lord, the spiritual blindness that we didn't see. We didn't know the truth. We couldn't comprehend the truth that you opened our ears to hear it, our eyes to see. And Lord, as we look at the physical that you certainly have power over, and we pray for healing there, we also pray for the spiritual healing of those who are blind and and deaf and have yet to trust in you as their Lord and Savior today. To see that, Lord, you're a holy God that demands and requires and it has been pursuing a people to be holy as you're holy. And you did the work for us to do that. But have we received it? Have we believed it? Do we possess that? And do we understand that we have already been given everything we need in Christ? That we can be content there. While everything around us may be falling apart or be confusing Lord we can surrender and trust that you're with us you're working through it and Lord it's for your glory and our good as we obey you we pray for those who have yet to believe that they would receive salvation today they would turn to Jesus and turn away from their sin and confess their sin and and receive that new life as they believe that Jesus is from God sent by God to die in our place and they'd confess with their mouth that Jesus rose from the grave and they'd be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.